0: scripture today starts with genesis chapter 2 thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array by the seventh day god had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work and god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work creating that he had done this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and for, for good for food. In the middle of the garden there were a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon, its winds through the entire land of Havana where there its gold, the gold that the land is good. Aromatic resin and the onyx were also there. The name of the second river is the Gishon. Its winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts in the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each of the living creature, and that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now for Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30. Again, it will be like man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then went on his journey. The man who who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five more. So also the one with the two talents gave two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid "'and went out and hid your talent in the ground. "'See, here is what belongs to you.' "'His master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant. "'So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown "'and gathered where I have not scattered seed. "'Well, then you should have put my money on deposit "'with the bankers, "'so that when I return, "'I would have received it back with interest. "'Take the talent from him "'and give it to the one who has the ten talents. "'For everyone who has will be given more, "'and he will have abundance.' Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where he will be where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: Last week we discussed and talked a little bit about how the false god of wealth works to, above all, manipulate people through the fear that there will never be enough. And though it is most apparent in the sin of greed over money, it can actually be a fear of lack of just about anything, whether it be money or creature comforts or other material wealth, or a fear that we won't have enough internal resources like patience or love to handle the job of living in this life. A lot of people don't realize you can be stingy and greedy with your patience and with love and compassion. Most of us don't think of that. For the most part, there are very few things that we get greedy over that are intrinsically bad. Most of the things that we get to clinging to are things that in and of themselves are not bad and can be quite good. They are generally part of God's good creation and therefore in their proper context are good as well. So how do we overcome this fear of lack? It's the fear of lack that is the bad thing. It's the fear that you won't have enough that causes you to do things with the wealth and the things that you have, both material and immaterial, that move you in the direction of worshiping mammon, of, of this, this God that is the fear of lack. How do we overcome this fear of lack and allow God to show us what he can do and wants to do for us with the things available to and in us. As I thought about this question, a look at the brief time before the fall and a famous parable of Jesus helps to point us away from the false God of mammon and towards an act of worshiping the true God that we have come to call stewardship. A lot of people don't think of stewardship as an act of worship, But it is. Last week, I talked about how Jesus dethrones mammon by calling us not to worry and put our trust in him. Today, what my main focus is going to be is what that trust will look like when we overcome the fear of lack. So whereas yesterday we talked about how to overcome the fear, today we will look at what it looks like when we truly trust God and not money or wealth or whatever it might be to, to get us through. I had promised a long time ago to give a stewardship message, and this is how I sneaked it in. And hopefully, my hope, because I'm, I'm assuming that throughout all of your years being in church, that you've heard at least a few stewardship messages, uh, series or stewardship messages in the past. Uh, most of the time, they usually deal with saying, okay, I want you to pledge to give so much money per year. I'm not really going to go with that tact. I'm going to talk a little bit about how you might consider uh, changing the way that you give, but I'm not going to get into real specifics. So I'm hoping that compared to other stewardship sermons that you've heard in the past, that maybe this one will be refreshingly different. That's my hope. That is my goal. Talking about money, talking about wealth, saying you need to give, that's never something people really enjoy hearing about. I I understand that. I'm the same way. So I'm going to try to go about it a little different way. So what I want to begin with is Genesis chapter 2. you have two accounts of the creation going on. Genesis chapter one, in in a way what you've got is Genesis chapter one is like a detailed play-by-play of God's creation. And it emphasizes how God made everything. We can get into a debate as to the mechanics of how God made everything. That's not what the point of Genesis one is. Genesis one does not tell us how God made everything. What it tells us is that God made everything. Genesis chapter 2, on the other hand, emphasizes God's relationship with humanity in this creation, in this endeavor called the universe. Genesis chapter 2 focuses on the man and then the woman, but primarily the man to start with because he's all there is to start with. God makes humanity to be stewards of the creation. One way to think of being a steward is being a co-ruler with God over the creation. God makes man in his image, meaning that we have been given a mind and a nature that is like God's. And basically, humans are supposed to be little versions of God. It's it's you know we are called his children for a reason. He makes man and says, All right, I'm going to show you how to rule well. So oftentimes when we hear the word rule, we think of dictatorship and manipulation. That's because we're broken. God's full intent was to show humanity how to rule the creation well, how to take care of it, how to manage it wisely, how to make it grow, how to keep it from getting out of control. We get this very interesting story where God sets the man in the garden and the man starts naming things. But out of all these things that he, that he names, nothing out of the rest of creation can work as a partner for him in the creation. And so God does something really interesting. He anesthetizes the man, puts him to sleep. And I might have mentioned this the other week or so ago, but we talk about Adam's rib being taken out to make woman. The actual Hebrew word for rib is side, not really rib. So in essence, the true, if you want to go literal translation of this, is God basically takes the man and cuts him down the middle, splits him, puts him back together, and now you've got two people. And I think I mentioned this the other week as well, that the Hebrew word for helper, because there's been a lot of controversy over this throughout the centuries of woman being called man's helper. And unfortunately, there have been men throughout history that have thought helper means go make me a sandwich. It does not. Helper is the word, the Hebrew word for helper used here is the same word that is used to describe God as our salvation. So when you get in the Old Testament and, and Gideon and others are talking about my God is my salvation, that word salvation is the same word that's used for woman as helper. So in other words, the real translation is the woman is the salvation of the man in more ways than one. He is a way in which God has stepped in once again. He saw where there was a lack and he took care of it. And now man and woman, because they are two sides of the same coin, are meant to be, again, co-rulers of the creation. So in essence, women are the salvation of the male half of the species. And there's an interesting thing that we see here is that woman, though made for Adam, is not seen as a resource owned by Adam. So when he sees the woman, he does not treat her like one of the other created beings that comes to, but he treats her as a moral equal. He says, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She is on equal footing with Adam and they are completely vulnerable with each other. There is no hoarding of anything between the two as far as we can see. They treat each other as equals and they love each other equally. She is a co-worker in the garden in the truest sense of the word. Her work is as much as his. May have been different, but it was equal. Both are charged with taking care of the things that God has made and not exploiting them or saying that they are mine. See, once we start to say that is mine, that's where the false god of mammon starts to come into play because once we start to think of something as mine rather than God's, that's when we start the hoarding tendency. That's when we start to worry about lack. I thought of a really corny joke the other day that thought about the, the naming of the animals. And it does say that Adam names the land creatures uh, before Eve comes along. But I imagine Eve probably helped with the naming of some things too. Some things are obviously named before and after. For instance, you think of dog. Well, that's definitely a man name. A man is going to come up with a name like Dog. Dog, pig, cow. But then you think of something, a graceful name like a manta ray. And if you've ever seen a manta ray in the water, how graceful they look like they fly in the water and a word like man, that is definitely a woman name. That's something definitely a woman had to come up with because if a man did that, it would have been something like C-flap flap. Flappy thing. But the point is they worked together and there was not any of this sense of animosity between man and woman. People talk about, especially since the 1950s and 1960s, the term the war of the sexes. There was no sense of that at all. They were co-equals, co-workers together. What they had was shared between them and neither one thought more highly of themselves than the other. They again quite literally were two halves of the same coin. This is why we can talk about man and woman and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks with marriage. But man and woman when they're brought together in marriage it's quite literally the bringing together of two people and now they're one people again because man and woman were part of the same thing. They're both cared for by God and by each other. And they worked, but they didn't toil. And so this, in my mind, is, is a good image of what stewardship, good stewardship was meant to be. Humanity working together for the good of each other, for the good of the creation, and all to glorify God. Today, however, contrary to the image of the garden, creation is seen as something to conquer and to exploit rather than care for and utilize wisely. There is fear between human beings over will there be enough and I've got to make sure that I've got mine so that they don't get more than what I've got. Working for the sake of work rather than bringing blessing because that was the point of work in the garden before the fall was to bring blessing to the creation, to give it order. Order is a good thing. Order makes things grow well. And in fact, there is a fear of the creation now in this past week or so has been an excellent example of that because we are now more than ever Very much realizing how little we can control the creation as terrible storms like Hurricane Dorian ravage places like the Bahamas. And we use the resources of the creation for the gratification of self rather than the edification of all and the building of God's kingdom. And so we have this, this interesting parable that Jesus gives, this parable of the talents. I'm going to try to pick up the pace here just a little bit and, and hit the main points. So the main points that I think Jesus is trying to get across in the parable of the talents is first. All of the resources, the talents, both the resources that we have externally and the resources that we have within, all belong to God, really, not us. Because God made all of it, secondly, one of the points that it becomes very clear that Jesus is making is that what we do with the things that we are given matters, and this is one of the problems that we have in the church now, because especially with some of our more charismatic brethren, there has become this mentality that that you know the main goal of life is to make it through and die and get beamed up to heaven and get away from this nasty, sinful earth. That's not the point of life. The point of life is so that we can be the best stewards of the creation possible so that when God comes and makes everything new again, there's going to be something that we could say, I had a part in that. Forever eternity, heaven, whatever you want to call it, is going to be an awful lot more like what we see around us now than we realize. And I think that should cause some of us to wake up and think, you know, if that is the case, if heaven is not floating on clouds and playing harps, but it's working in a reconstituted creation that has death and all the bad things taken out of it, then what I do now matters. If we waste or do nothing with what we've been given, then we stand to lose the whole thing. Because that's what the wicked servant is guilty of. He says, you know what? I didn't know what to do with what you gave me, so I just went and stuck it in a hole in the ground. And now here you go. He didn't do anything with what God gave him. When we use what God has given us on a personal and a global scale, it bears fruit, And according to the fruit that it bears, God blesses us. John Wesley had a motto concerning wealth. I'm going to give just kind of my version of it. But it basically said, earn what you can, as much as you can, and then give all that you can. And we get the first two bits pretty good. Earn all you can, as much as you can, but not the last bit so much. The give all that you can. Hoarding. It's like burying the talent. Saying, you know what? I don't know how this all will play out, so I'm just going to go stick it in the ground. Using it frivolously is the same way. Not all entertainment is a waste, and this is where I differ a little bit from John Wesley. John Wesley would look at almost anything considered a luxury, and he would say it was bad. I don't say that that's necessarily the case. Not all luxuries are bad if they are used wisely and in the right way. But what we have to understand is that it all comes from God. And the point is to expand the blessings as much as possible. There's not much said about the tithe anymore. 10% of one's earnings going to God and... I'll be honest, I don't necessarily care if you give a whole 10% to the church or some of it to the church and some to other ministries as long as you're giving a 10th. And I'm not saying this to brag. I don't ever want to brag, but I do feel like it's relevant. And I can say with all honesty that we do as a family give at least a tithe. And I say this again Not to pat myself on the back. But I say this because there are many clergy out there today that don't tithe. There are a lot of clergy that do not tithe. And it shows. And as a pastor, I am called to lead in many ways. And in this way, I have to lead by example. No pastor can go before people and say, oh, you need to try to tithe. Uh, but then, if they don't tie, that's pretty much the definition of being a hypocrite. Is it always easy? No, sometimes it would be nice to have some of that. But I have found in life that when Esther and I have trusted God and have been faithful in in this thing, he has blessed us many times over, and when times were tight, he made sure to make our giving. We made sure to make our giving to God our top priority. And when times were abundant, we gave even more to say thank you. What we have isn't ours. It is given to us by God for the purpose of kingdom building. And sometimes kingdom building is going out and having a decent meal. Sometimes it is. Jesus celebrated sometimes, all right? He went to weddings that, you know, they were a typical wedding and they celebrated and there was a lot of money put into those things. And did he say, oh, that's a waste? No, he didn't say that's a waste. He blessed it. He turned water into wine. Sometimes it is considered good stewardship to go and have a little fun within reason. You want to know why a good reason for that? We tend to be better workers, both physically and mentally, when we're happy. And I'm not saying doing these things make us happy, but we're more likely to be content that way. We are wired this way. Sometimes kingdom building is saying no. No to that extra coffee because I don't need it right now and the guy at the crossroads needs that five bucks more than I need that five dollar cup of Starbucks. And sometimes kingdom building involves greater and planned giving to go in conjunction with others giving to make something truly great. We have in the past given to the radio station WBGL. If you're familiar with the Christian Contemporary Station WBGL. And we have seen the ministry that that radio station does with the money that it receives. And sometimes it is like when people in the church give to make a better place to worship in ministry. But regardless... God calls us to be faithful to him and to trust him for our needs, not the resources that he gives. That's the key. We trust God for our well-being and the resources are just the resources that God has given us to do the things. And that's so that he can be glorified. So I'm gonna wrap it up here real quick, but I wanna give you all a challenge. And we've had this, this picture up here. (laughs) <laughs> and what this picture represents is, each, imagine this is like a staircase, And but this is not a staircase that you're intended to go to the top. This is a staircase that is merely meant to represent where you are at and what you can do to go the next step. So if you look, each of these steps has a certain do- range of dollar amounts per year. And when, when we finish church today, because I know it's kind of hard. Uh, if I was sitting in the back, I would not be able to read all this. So uh, if, if you'll leave it up at the end of church, anybody who wants to see it, you can come up and just kind of look at it. But what my challenge to you is to look and find where you are at on this. And then, what my challenge is, is to say, okay, if you are on the lower end of that step, because for instance, the bottom step says zero to $249 a year. If you're closer to the zero than the $249 per year, ask yourself what it would take to take you from where you're at to bring you closer, I'm not saying to the, but I'm just saying closer, to the 249. Or if you're closer to the end of that step, what would it take to get you to bump up to the next step? Giving is a form of faith. Giving is a a way that we say and we acknowledge the fact that it's not the money that takes care of us but it's God. So this is kind of a nice tool because I don't need to know where you are at. I don't want to know where you are at here. But you can know where you're at here. And if you're down here at the bottom, that's okay. This is not meaning that you're at the bottom. That just represents where you're at in giving. But find where you are at roughly and ask yourself, what would it take to move up a little bit? Or if you can't, that's okay. But it is a way to know where you're at. And it's a way to challenge yourself and ask yourself, how might I do a little more? Because this money isn't what takes care of me. It's God that does. So my challenge is one that is going to be between you and God. God gave you everything, including the air that you breathe. Find where you are on the stairs and now imagine what it would take to move towards or up the next stair in the picture and pray about that. Don't just look about it and think, well, I would have to give this much more. Ask yourself, what would I need to do to be able to give this much more? And pray about that. And ask if God is moving you to do that. And if he isn't, then fine. But at least ask God and say, am I giving what you want me to give or do you want me to give more? And if God calls you to step out in faith and increase your giving, then listen to him. He is good and faithful to lead you through the struggles that will come out of it. And he will, if he has called you to do something, he will give you the means to do it. And you will not only be blessed for it, you will be part of building something greater than you can possibly imagine. Amen. Amen. As we come to the end of our Service today, let us sing our closing hymn, Close to Thee, verses 1 and 2.